Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that shape our world. I'm your host, Uncle Fine, Larry Jones. KG Smooth will be with us in just a little bit. And we are speaking to a graduate of one of my favorite schools. I've had a chance to visit the Hill from time to time. I know a lot of folk who graduated from Prairie View A&M University. Kyle Maroney is with us. And Kyle, from your, your, your bio and resume, it seems like you have traveled the world, sir. Welcome to the podcast. All right. Thank you so much. So, Kyle, uh, after graduating from Prairie View, what was the next step in your life? Uh, so the next step for me uh, was actually working in Prairie View, uh, where I served as a, as a uh, learning community coordinator uh, for freshman students. Uh, my passion has always been uh, service. And for me, at that time, service looked like uh, supporting first-year college students, uh, specifically, uh, well, specifically first-year college students to be able to help matriculate through. Um, and then after that, um, two years after finishing that stint at Prairie View, I ended up uh, applying and being accepted to the United States Peace Corps. Man, you know, I've always thought about doing that. I kid you not. Well, President (laughs) President Kennedy inspired a lot of us to become actively involved in the Peace Corps. And somewhere in my life, I thought, you know what? That that could be a pretty cool job. And uh, to hear someone say that, that, that's great. So after being accepted in the Peace Corps, how did your life evolve that way? Uh, my man, my life evolved ex- exponentially. Like I think the old the old Peace Corps saying is that uh, Peace Corps is the top toughest job you're gonna love, and it was certainly that. I think uh, being at the intersection of a different culture, um, trying your best to also uh, not only share what American culture is, but also also share what Black American culture looks like, uh, was very very uh, challenging, but also a, an incredible opportunity. Because oftentimes, a Peace Corps is not dominated by a lot of persons of color from, from the United States. So when you, when you are a, uh, a person of color going into the Peace Corps, um, it is almost a responsibility to share what that looks like uh, and to help debunk some myths about uh, black Americans and black American culture. So it was very, very interesting, very challenging, but m- most certainly worthwhile work, to be honest. Kyle, share some of the travels. Where were some of the places the Peace Corps took you? Uh, some of the places I had the, the opportunity to travel to um, specifically was uh, Senegal, um, which is the, uh, one of the countries in West Africa uh, where, I, uh, where I participated in a malaria boot camp. Um, during my three years of service, I focused on reducing the rates of malaria in my host community. And um, during that boot camp, we learned best practices from across sub-Saharan Africa to be able to take back to our country and to help implement um, that, that could possibly work to help reduce the rate because uh, some folks across the world looks at malaria like we look at the common cold in, in the United States. Uh, so that was one of the most indelible experiences that I ever had um, while in Peace Corps. And that, that, that I can say was the most, um, one of my favorite places to visit was Senegal, West Africa. Excellent. Kyle, with your travels, your learning, your, your compassion, you're wanting to give back. This obviously must have put you in place for your current position. Most certainly. I think uh, what we like to call in the emergency preparedness space uh, a blue sky day. Uh, I work as a community resilience specialist uh, for Harris County Public Health in the Office of Public Health Preparedness and Response, uh, where I work with uh, a cultural and linguistically diverse communities 
uh, to help prepare them for disasters in times like now where we're dealing with a global pandemic. Uh, so it certainly is the reason uh, uh, why I am here currently serving as a COVID-19 uh, specimen collection site manager um, for, the, for the local health department. And it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. So, Kyle, bring us up to speed with Harris County's readiness with the proposed vaccine and vaccinations. And is that a part of your your your, your duties uh, in this office? Yes, most certainly. So right now we're really trying our best to push um, the importance of getting tested because we like we saw right after Thanksgiving, we saw that there was an uptick in folks wanting to, of course, uh, be with their families. So for us at this juncture, um, at least on my front, we're trying our best to promote testing as much as possible, uh, making sure that folks know that our testing is free, no insurance is needed, and folks, we take walk-ins. Anybody who would like to come and get tested, uh, you are free to come and get tested. So right now, our, our push is to make sure that folks come and get tested uh, during the holiday season. So Kyle, for people just tuning in, where are those facilities and are they free? Yes, they are free. They're all open. And again, in Harris County, we have multiple sites uh, for testing. Um, you can uh, actually reach us at readyharris.org uh, and find out more information about where our sites are uh, if you'd like to set an appointment. Um, you can also call us at 832-927-7575 uh, to also schedule an appointment and find out where our testing sites are located. So, Kyle, in this pandemic, how surprised are you at this cavalier attitude of not social distancing, not wearing a mask, not using hand sanitizer? And people can clearly see it works. It prevents social spread and people are still dying. Certainly. I I think that especially when you think about uh, the communities that are most affected, um, you look at the long history of uh, some of the some of the examples that we've kind of seen in terms of folks not necessarily having uh, the most trust in organiza- large organizations. But I do believe that these are tried and true uh, methods that will work and can work. But the most important thing is that I believe on the local level, we've set an, an incredible example. But I do think that um, sending examples throughout our governmental infrastructure is something um, that we could have possibly done a better job at. So I think modeling, being a positive deviant on every level of our public health infrastructure um, is something that I believe we, we can do better uh, moving forward. You have Judge Hidalgo at the helm. Can you tell us your experience with working with her and the department? So in the, in the capacity that I serve in, I, I serve um, more, so, more so embedded within our uh, within our response, meaning that my focus is to make sure that my mobile specimen collection site operates as efficiently and effectively as possible to service the community members of Harris County. So uh, that's more so I leave it up to my directors uh, and uh, Dr. Omer uh, Shah, who will be leaving us very soon, uh, to kind of do the liaising with her office. Okay. Because it seems to be a very coordinated effort between the city of Houston, Harris County, uh, and 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 certain officials, there's a exactly. cohesiveness, uh, a, a a a planned purpose, if you will. Certainly, to make that's, sure that's what that. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, certainly, I think that's what that's what effective uh, public health interventions should always look like—a coordinated effort, um, folks uh, folks working together 
um, across disciplines, uh, governmental, non-governmental uh, officials, listening to uh, public health experts and having all of those people at the table. And I do believe on a local level, we've tried our very best to kind of make sure that we are coordinated in that sense. Kyle joins us today. Um, he is the Harris County Public Health uh, Office of Public Health Preparedness and Response Coordinator and uh, graduate of Prairie View A&M, Peace Corps veteran. Uh, it just doesn't sound like you could have been any better of a candidate guy to go out and, <laughs> and, and do this kind of work. It, it's got to yeah, be certainly. gratifying to you. No, no, it is. It certainly is uh, more of a passion. Um, I often think about um, of, uh, the Kobe Bryant quote when he was in the playoffs and a reporter asked him the question of, um, like, you're up 2-0 in the, in the, in the series. How do you, uh, you don't seem happy. Um, and he was just like, the job isn't finished. And I think for a lot of us, I, I, I say this for not only myself, but other public health professionals and emergency management professionals, uh, we are passionate about the work that we do. Uh, you may not ever see us on uh, the late night news or anything like that, but folks are working on the public's behalf every single day, working countless hours to make sure that our community, especially Harris County, is protected from COVID-19. No, kudos to you and, and our entire medical team, medical staff, uh, every man and woman on the front line who has gone way, way beyond uh, the yes, call sir. of duty to help out in this uh, speaking of your your colleagues in in the profession, what kind of relationship do you have with with the area hospitals? Uh, so, in terms of uh, my again referring re- referring back to my specific role, um, I think within our response, um, we all are given specific roles that we have to manage. So, for right now, my role is to make sure that I run this mobile specimen collection site, and that is what I'm again focused on. Okay. So the mobile unit travels throughout the county? Yes, sir. We, we travel throughout the county. Um, we have a coordinated schedule every single week, and we primarily try to focus our mobile units to go to houses of worship. Um, in the beginning, when I started managing my mobile unit, we actually were the first mobile unit to go to houses of worship, go to synagogues, go to mosques, and we found that to be effective because people are most comfortable to go to the places where they worship. Um, so we set up shop at uh, various uh, churches, uh, mosques, to make sure that uh, our community members who may be hard to reach are able to get tested and feel comfortable where they're going to get tested. And this crosses all diverse lines of our of our vast county, yes? Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. We try our best to, to, to strategically position our mobile units where we can have the most impact uh, in our community. And again, what our focus is to make sure uh, that our community, the, the folks who may not necessarily come out, we provide that service to them. Um, be, before taking up this role as a mobile specimen collection site manager, uh, I was the director of resilience and equity within our response. And uh, during the, my role, my role was to focus on making sure that um, the, uh, communities that we we communities that were oftentimes not thought about during response was included in our decision making process. Um, within our response and make sure that we left no one behind. So, so take me, walk me through a, a typical day. You, you will call a pastor or a, a priest or a, a social worker mm-hmm. in the area to set, to coordinate a time and place where you guys are going to come and test. So, How does that happen? So interestingly enough, we have a whole team behind me 
where they do all of this. We have a scheduling team that does all of the coordination with the houses of worship, with all of the sites that we have uh, set up across the county. And they will actually do that. And then they will relay that information. They will give you the, the schedule. And then we go out to that site. And of course, once you get into which, which you, once you get into field operations, you have to, of course, make some alterations and uh, make some changes as you see fit when you get on, get on at the site. Uh, but we have a whole scheduling team. Uh, we have a wonderful team who does all of the coordination and scheduling um, for us. It's got to be gratifying to be able to do and serve and be a part yep. of a vast community. And, and we're yes, testing for COVID-19 and we're getting information on a daily basis. So, Kyle, if you can, yep. how are we doing as a community in terms of new cases? Uh, in terms of new cases, uh, because of because of my specific focus, um, I can say that as we saw after Thanksgiving, we have seen an uptick in cases. Um, I can say specifically for my mobile site, <laughs> we did over 1,300 cases on last week um, where we, at, we were at Traders Village. So for, for, my, for us, we've kind of saw that we've seen an uptick in cases mm-hmm. um, in terms of people get. I mean, not, not in cases, excuse me, in terms of people getting tested. Right. Uh, so as more people get tested, as more folks uh, go out to enjoy Thanksgiving, um, enjoy the holidays, uh, we are expecting to see more folks come and get tested. Um, I don't, I can't give an exact number on how many people are being uh, uh, testing positive, mm-hmm. but I can say we have seen an uptick in folks coming to get tested. Well, I, I think the overall information is being finally, someone's paying attention and yes. saying, you know, this this thing is real. And we need to get tested to be absolutely sure because all we're asking yeah. you to do is to be conscious of your family and exactly. and, and, and your coworkers. Uh, Certainly. Because we've learned, you know, you can be positive, but but asymptomatic, showing no exactly. symptoms. Exactly. And, and that's a really great point you make right there. I think uh, we our, our, our tagline for our testing uh our testing setup is don't guess, take the test. Um, <laughs> oftentimes you hear that in, in previous generations when we, when we were thinking about uh, HIV and AIDS, but we're now doing the same kind of uh, public health messaging to make sure that folks, not only uh, who may think they have COVID or may be exhibiting symptoms, that I believe that everyone who, who is capable uh, should come out and get tested. Uh, it's, it's such a very, very important thing to make sure that we protect uh, folks who might be vulnerable in our families and our friend groups um, from uh, falling ill or even dying from this uh, this uh, novel virus. Because again, uh, even though vaccines uh, are coming, we still have to make sure that in the intermittent, we try our best to uh, protect ourselves and know for sure that we are not uh, a super spreader or a spreader of COVID-19. Well said, my friend. Well said. Yeah. The, um, um, give, give, let me have that uh, Harris County site again, Kyle. Uh, so you're going to go to hcphtx.org or readyharris.org um, where you can reach us online or you can call us at 832-927-7575 to sign up for testing. So Kyle, I got to ask, where were you born? <laughs> well, I was born in a, in a small island in the Eastern Caribbean called the Commonwealth of Dominica or as they call it in the native uh, language, or as the native people would call it, uh, Waitu Kubuli. Oh, but we, we call it the Commonwealth of Dominica. Absolutely love it. 
and just the, the, the sheer travels of your willingness to say yes to something uh, bigger than yourself led you to Prairie View and this amazing, amazing tour. Uh, like I said, the, the Peace Corps, you, you got to understand, I, there, there's so few folk I have spoken with who even knew what the Peace Corps was all about. So Certainly. certainly. Yeah. And you know, there's still time. If you, if you still want to go, uh, Uncle, if you still want to go go out to the Peace Corps, you still can. Uh, the Peace Corps has no age limits. If you are uh, able and healthy, you can certainly still do your two years of service. <laughs> so uh, there's still an opportunity if you'd like to go on and take on the challenge. Well, Kyle, you know, I just celebrated my 67th birthday, so there may be a little... Uh, Maybe a little room for me left to do this, but I certainly, <laughs> yeah, you, you certainly, certainly have you have some room left. I want to commend you for your for your 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 compassion, and your willingness sure. to serve, and willingness to give back. So your mobile units are out and about. Is this a, a Monday through Monday, or are you just Monday through Saturday? Yeah, so each each mobile unit uh, works off of a slightly adjusted schedule. My mobile unit we're currently at Fallbrook Church uh, from Monday this past Monday until this Friday. So after uh, we we're going to be at our, at Fallbrook Church from Monday, I mean from this past Monday until Friday. So we'll be here, and then next week uh, we'll be somewhere else um, from Monday to Friday. Other mobile units are open on Saturdays. We also have stationary sites that operate uh, with different hours. Uh, but again, going to readyharris.org or giving us a call at eight three two nine two seven seven five seven five to find out exactly where our testing sites are would be your best bet. Kyle, I'm going to leave it right there, my friend. God bless yes, you sir. for your work. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. And we look forward to some great information from you. So feel free to come back at any time. Yes, sir. We'll certainly be in touch. Thank you, Uncle. Thank you, sir. All right. And for everyone listening, the podcast will continue right after this. From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth, joined by the market icon that is Uncle Funky Larry Jones. Great conversation with you and Kyle uh, last segment. Uh, So thank you for holding it down. You did well, but you don't need You know how we do. Yeah. It's a tag team. Absolutely. We have each other's back. And oh, by the way, congratulations on ready to love so we oh, enjoyed watching you. you thank you so much i um we had filmed the reunion uh last friday not this past friday but friday before last and one of the executives one of the executive producers came up to me and he said you know uh he's like you're a fan favorite we've been <laughs> tracking everything and people love you yeah you are a fan favorite of the show and i was like wow who well, knew? And I'll say this, as folk get to know you more and more and more, your 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 work here in the city, you've been out and about in areas that some folk may or may not know. And uh, you shared recently that you were in the heart of the tray mm-hmm. at a breast cancer event at Good Hope Baptist Church, correct? Yeah, it was um it was the um oh what was the name of the event? Oh, it, it escapes me right now. Uh, Thanksgiving giveaway. There we go. Thank you, Dr. Bennett. It was a Thanksgiving giveaway. People were uh, pulling up, uh, families were pulling up, and they had like whole meals for I, I, folks. I was trying to lead in, Dr. Yeah, Bennett, yeah. with the Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I totally forgot. Yes, I did. And um, I met this lovely young lady uh, who 
was a fan of the show mm-hmm. and uh, we we started talking and she was telling me about uh, her organization reconstruction of a survivor and so on the phone line joining us uh she is um, she graduated from the university of houston taught elementary middle undergrad and graduate students uh, and was the leader for researchers in mathematic projects for the state of louisiana i really could go on and on about her accolades i'd rather her uh talk about it ladies and gentlemen please welcome the wonderful and vivacious Mm -hmm. dr Jeannie Bennett. Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast. I am so honored to be on the Public Affairs Podcast. Thank you guys so very much for the invitation. No, um, thank you for having I don't us. like really talking about myself, but uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, 24 years ago, almost 25 years ago. And uh, you know how you say, okay, God, just get me out of this, <laughs> and then I'll do whatever I can to help people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, through this. And I, I told the Lord, I almost died. So I just said, you know what? Okay, get me out of this, Lord, and I will do whatever I need to do to glorify you. And that's what I did. I started helping women one-on-one who were diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, a friend of mine said from church said, oh, by the way, you need to start a nonprofit. I said, I don't have time. I'm busy writing math textbooks and traveling all over the U.S. and speaking outside the U.S. and what have you. And I said, I just don't have time for a nonprofit. Heard it a second time. I said, okay, I will be obedient this time. And therefore, reconstruction of a survivor was birthed. Wow. So, Doc, just for my own mental, how different of a, feeling is it to learn that you have breast cancer I'm I'm trying to equate that is it a oh my god how could this be me I don't I don't smoke I don't I I eat right what kind of feeling do you get when you're diagnosed with breast cancer well you know I've been exercising now for 25 years so I was exercising I was eating healthy um my mother, none of my mother's side of the family from Louisiana had breast cancer mm. or any other type of cancer. Mm. And um, my father's sister, I remember, had breast cancer, but he was, you know, like whatever goes on this house stays in this house. It was hush hush. <laughs> Absolutely. So no one really talked about it. Yeah. And uh, I knew she had it because one of the cousins said she's got she had breast cancer. She had surgery. She's have what's called lymphedema, which is a swelling of the arm. And when I I had People think you always have to have a lump for breast cancer. That is not the case. I didn't have a lump. Mm-hmm. So I had what's called a nipple discharge. And I was speaking at a national conference in uh, San Diego. I flew back home, told the surgeon what was going on. He said, well, we need to do a mammogram and ultrasound. I said, oh, yeah, by the way, it's time for a mammogram. But I threw the card in the trash can because mm-hmm. I didn't have time. I was busy trying to fly somewhere. Mm-hmm. So he did that. We did the mammogram. It was still in an ultrasound. It was not uh, con- conducive about what's going on. So he did a biopsy. And when I went in to see uh, Don Roby, who went to school together, Don said, well, I've got good news and bad news. I said, well, what's the good news? The good news is I didn't take much of the breast tissue. I said, well, I don't have much to take, but okay. And then he said, uh, the bad news is, and he hesitated. I thought, what is wrong with him? Mm-hmm. The bad news is it's breast cancer. So I ate right, I exercised, but then I still had breast cancer. I didn't think it was running in the family because of the fact it was on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. And that's the misconceptions that many people have. 
they, and some people believe that you have to have a diagnosis in your family. You don't. Mm. We've had women who are in their 20s uh, who come to us for help diagnosed with breast cancer, stage one, stage two, stage three, and uh, are in their 20s. No family history. Wow. Mm. And let me say this to you also. More African-American women die from breast cancer than any other ethnic group. Mm. So it is, it, 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 is, it is our civic duty to remind ladies to go get a mammogram or get tested, correct? Right. That's exactly correct. And I think the main thing to do is to tell women if you notice anything that's different mm. and abnormal with your breast, because I, many times we, I've known people who have been diagnosed with what's called inflammatory breast cancer. There are 36 subtypes of breast cancer, and one is inflammatory. And they've gone to a um, dermatologist who said, oh, you've just got a rash, it's your deodorant, and Ooh. let's just give you this prescription, and it's deadly. Mm, wow. And there's no hope for them. So, yes, if you notice any change at all, go seek medical advice. Mm. The, the, um, the family piece is very interesting because, you know, that is one of the first things that um, medical professionals uh, tell their female patients or male patients as well is to check your family history. So for none on your, your mother's side and then um, to have this one, uh, what you said it was your dad's sister? My dad's sister, yes. Yeah. That's interesting. And and you were doing everything right. So I'm wondering if, even though you were eating right, Dr. Bennett, if some of the things that you were eating or that we all eat as human beings everywhere, if there's, you know, um, what, what, what's the... Um, Correlation. Yeah, but the carcinogen, is that oh, the word? Uh, yeah, it, like maybe some of that was in a lot of the things that we're eating now. Because even even as recent as this past week, uh, me reading an article on how alcohol mm-hmm. has carcinogen in it. And it's been a battle for decades on whether the uh, alcohol industry should disclose this to their consumers. And I, and I think I was, and they got me thinking, like, well, Man, a lot of people probably have cancer due to the drinking because the yeah. uh, you know because they don't let us know that this yeah. cancer causing uh, uh, ingredient or, yeah. or thing that is in you know the stuff that we are unconsuming. So uh, that's just fascinating to me. Well, my take from what Doc is saying, there's an awareness that we need to elevate our our level of living to. You need to be aware of all these things as we as we go forward. Um, and it still may not prevent the breast cancer. But I am curious to find out, Doc, after the diagnosis, is there? do women always have to have their breast removed, or is that a depends on the severity of the cancer? No. Um, I do a lot of research for the federal government uh, mm-hmm. for breast cancer research, and I review research proposals, and there are new technologies coming out day after day that allow the women not to have the breast removed. I opted for a mastectomy because back then, 24 years ago, that that was the only option I had with breast reconstruction. So you can't even tell that I had a, a complete, a modified radical mastectomy. And I think it's more important for us to educate ourselves about what is a mastectomy? What's the difference between that and a lumpectomy? Lumpectomy means you remove the lump 
but there are other technologies and therapies that can be administered, such as radiation, such as chemotherapy. And I think it's best for us to educate ourselves and go in with the paper and pen. I tell patients that all the time. Don't just go in and sit there and listen and take it all in because you won't remember half of what they said. <laughs> I thought I was going to die mm. until I did my own research and said, okay, these are the options I have. I can do uh, breast reconstruction, and that's the main thing that I thought was important to me was to learn what was my diagnosis. What they mean when they said ductal carcinoma in situ? And in situ means that it's contained within the within the breast. It had not spread outside of the breast area. Mm. So in education is really important. Uh, we do provide support groups for women diagnosed with breast cancer. And we've got locations from Baytown to Katy to Houston to Pearland. Uh, we've got a group in Louisiana. We've got a group in the medical center, at, um, well, several in the medical center, but at the VA hospital. And women come to us feeling hopeless. But when they come to us, there's a difference. We have a curriculum that's going to give them hope to know that they are transformed and healed mm -hmm. by the sessions. We've got the curriculum. Um, I always say I didn't write it by myself. The Holy Spirit and I wrote it together. Well, uh, well it's just the truth. We did because I was given exactly the topics to write on and um, – I was told by the Holy Spirit, well, you know what? If you can write math textbooks and curriculum for states, you can do now. this too. Come on now. Mm -hmm. Come on now. It should and be easy. I said, okay, I got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was. Come on. So Come on, Doc. You're stirring really, my spirit. Keep going. <laughs> well, I'm really grateful for the impartation of the Holy Spirit to do this yeah. because we've had women who come. We've lost very few women to death because of this. One of the main um subjects that we have in our curriculum that I wrote was, I will forgive. Unforgiveness is crippling, not just to breast cancer patients, but if you've got uh, lung cancer, uh, mm. heart disease, mm -hmm. um, any kind of sickness. Bad attitude. If you have not, bad attitude, <laughs> you know, mad at your boss, didn't forgive your boss because the boss, yep. you know, told you off, mad at your husband <laughs> or your wife, you know, that's unforgiveness. All that. So you've got to get rid of all that stuff that's underlying and free yourself, take the handcuffs off and allow your spirit to be released from that so that you can help avoid dis diseases like uh, breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, eating healthy, as I mentioned before, um, watching how much you drink. Obesity is another big factor that does not help with any type of cancer, but in particular breast cancer as well. Mm. And Doc, no. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you led into your spirituality with the Holy Spirit and your relationship with the higher source, because there are women listening right now who are probably at their wits end, scared to death, dealing with COVID-19, not sure if they're going to get a stimulus check, don't know what to do with these kids. And now they've found out that they've been diagnosed with breast cancer. Speak to these women this morning and give them the story of hope one more time. The story of hope is oftentimes I see women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer with no insurance, mm -hmm. no Affordable Health Care mm -hmm. Act, or better known as Obamacare, and they say, okay, I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do to help myself. 
And the main thing that they can do is seek resources. There is a national fund available that's um, passed on to the various states. It's called the Breast and Cervical Cancer Services Program. It pays for every single thing from the time of diagnosis through treatment, through surgery, through reconstruction, radiation. It takes care of all of that if you have no insurance. So that's important, but people don't know that. They're not told that. The doctors don't really know about it. So it's up to the community to educate beyond just this is what breast cancer is all about. But what resources do you have? What resources are out there for you? And on our website, uh, Reconstruction of a Survivor, or Re reconstructasurvivor.org, we do have a whole page on resources for people, um, even dealing with clinical trials. We're not educated as African Americans about clinical trials, mm. and I participated in two, and I'm still here. So <laughs> clinical trials, I didn't feel like I could be a guinea pig because there are no data sets for African Americans, very few. Oh, That's wow. why they need us to participate mm -hmm. in clinical trials wow. because you never know what medication may work for you when another one didn't. And I see this all the time with chemotherapy patients. Mm. Yeah, there's this underlying mistrust uh, conspiracy theory that you should not be a part of this because they're going to kill you. They're going to wipe us out. Well, okay, I'll take my chances. Tuskegee, Tuskegee is a good is a good example of that, mm -hmm. and a lot of people remember Tuskegee. Yeah, you know, but they've got that wrong. Experiment. Even I learned uh, some things on Tuskegee that I thought, and um, we got it wrong. Because I even went back to uh, look at the records at uh, Tuskegee Institute, and what it was was the people in that town, they already had it. A lot of people had it. Well, the syphilis? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, they already yeah. had it already. And so they were going in to try to find out. And then all this time, you know, thinking that the government injected us, like, no, there were black doctors, all black doctors that were involved in the town already had it, and they were trying to... Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Doc, in, in, in just a couple of minutes, can you walk me through Dr. Jeannie, uh, 2012 face-to-face, -face, The Wondrous Woman? The Wondrous Woman. <laughs> well, are you talking about me in particular? But, um, <laughs> I'm talking about you, your YouTube channel, the whole thing. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, we... Um, I'm just eternally grateful for the fact that I'm a vessel and I see myself as a vessel um, to be used by God to help women who think that they're going to die when they hear diagnosis of breast cancer. And I, we do have trained facilitators to facilitate all of our locations and they're trained to be a support. Some of them have gone through breast cancer, but I make sure that um, I pray about who's going to be a facilitator to help these women because that's so critical. Their compassion, their um, desire to help is so important and to help transform lives. And many times, um, and I hate to say this, but it's just fact. If a man feels that his wife has breast cancer, that can sometimes be an excuse to say, I want a divorce. And so we as a group have to help this person go through not just a disease that could take them out of here, 
not just maybe not having insurance, but you have a man who's decided he wants to leave. So there are many different aspects of the disease that surround these women. And we want to make sure, I want to make sure that whatever we do to help them is beneficial. You That's all, it in a nutshell. Yeah. And, when, and, and again, I... <laughs> I just love the the higher level consciousness that you're in, the space that you're 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 you you are open, and it's it's obvious that the writing and the 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 the, the, the solutions that are coming to you are uh, from a different level. Your your relationship with your church, New Light Christian Center. Uh, I was at New Light, okay, uh, but I went back to Windsor Village. I was ah. at Windsor Village. I joined Women's Village when my daughter was four, mm-hmm. and she's thirty-something um, right now. So, um, but I went back to Windsor Village, and I left New Light. Windsor Village was, was just really home, even though I still have friends at New Light. Um, my relationship with Pastor Kirby John and Pastor Suzette has always been one where um, I can always go to Pastor Kirby John and say, "This is what I need help with." And he would provide, you know, the ample resources uh, for that. And right before, we, we do have uh, our breast cancer support groups are still going on, but we're doing them not face-to-face, but on Zoom. And I went to talk to Pastor Suzette before um, the COVID-19 hit to see what we could do at the church and get the word out at church. But again, with the, with the, the pandemic, that has kind of not allowed us to partner with the church there but we do partner with Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, okay. um, and that's the only church currently who has the program. And Pastor Cofield is just amazing, uh, and the support we get from that church no, is he's, great. He's he's a great man. He's a great man, a great man of God, a great man of the community as well. And, yes. And uh, so we're we're coming up on uh, coming up on break. So I definitely want to give you a chance to uh, share with us. Uh, your, your social sites, how can we find you, and, and any information that you can help our women and men um, to, to, to do better with uh, getting tested. Um, if you could give that to us right now, and I appreciate it. Sure, sure. Um, reconstruction of a Survivor. If you go to our webpage, we do have an Instagram page. My daughter um, manages the Instagram and the Facebook when I'm not interfering with Facebook. Um, we do have Twitter, but I don't use Twitter as often. Um, but mostly we do uh, Facebook as well as Instagram. And I think the main thing is that if they can go to our, our website, www.roasurvivor.org, and whether, if you know someone, if it's not yourself, and go to our resources page. We even have financial resources. Hmm. And as an organization, we do provide financial assistance, but it's, it's for the women who are in our support groups. And so we've got financial assistance. There's information there about housing. If you're from out of town and need a place to stay, um, we've helped a woman who was homeless, sleeping on the streets of Houston, stage four breast cancer, refused to go to treatment. Mm-hmm. So we put her in an extended stay. She went back to MD Anderson. She said, because I'm sleeping on the street. Why go to MD Anderson? I'm in the elements. And went sleeping with animals on the street. Mm. When we put her in the extended station, went back. The cancer was everywhere, and it was too late. But we did what we could to help her. So we'll do what we can and provide resources. If I don't know it, then I'll, we'll seek out the potential resources to help women and men. 
Indeed. You want to give your daughter a shout out? Melissa Janice Greggs is a wonderful fashion designer, and she's extremely creative. I'm very concrete sequential, but uh, she's amazing. <laughs> Indeed. Dr. Jeannie Bennett, thank you so much for your time. And everyone listening to the podcast, we appreciate you. On behalf of KG Smooth, I'm Uncle Funky Larry Jones. We'll see you next week.